So welcome back to the Cock and Ball podcast. Uh, we look at all things Spurs in the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. Because after all, who needs a 90-minute podcast to talk about a 90-minute game of football? Uh, I'm Tom, aka Fen. I'm also joined by our full quartet tonight. We've got Mr Passion, it's Ashley. How's it going? And Mr Numbers, it's Jules. You alright, big man? And we've got Mr Please Stop Tweeting Libelously, uh, <laughs> trying to keep us down to earth. It's Stockport's <laughs> finest, Jamie Summers. Good evening. That was a lot nicer than I thought it was going to be. Than <laughs> <laughs> any of us thought. <laughs> oh, if I catch you out with a compliment. Uh, straight to it then. Apparently we signed a couple of new players. You might have heard. Firstly, the Liga's left back of the season, Sergio Reguilón, which I've no doubt pronounced wrong. Uh, and the second coming of an absolute club legend, Benoit Suricato. Sorry, no... <laughs> No, let's go. So, on a scale of one to aroused, Ash, how, how are we feeling about this? Uh, I think all the blood has rushed away from my brain. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think, firstly, I think, firstly, I've also got to apologise to all two of our listeners because um, I don't know if you remember, but back in the first pod, I um, I said that Bale coming back was a delusion, and he had no reason to call Spurs home. Turns out I was completely wrong about that. <laughs> How do you feel about it, Fen? It's yeah, it's. I, I think I think it's quite special. I know there's a pod in itself just for the disagreement that us three have with Jim, and I think it is interesting that Jim is the outsider, and to him, Bale is just a very good. Maybe you'll call him world class footballer, but to us, it's magic because football is made of moments of magic and. Spurs, they're so fleeting, these moments of magic, that they mean so much more. So Bale meant so much more. So to have him back potentially doing that again, for us, I think is, we hold him in a, a higher echelon of being. He's, he's essentially borderline deity. And I know that Jim probably feels slightly differently. I don't dislike him. I just think there's, it obviously didn't work well, it did work really well at Real Madrid, but it didn't work on a personal level for him. And it ended such a shame that he's left there in a way that means that nobody's sad that he's gone. And for somebody that's won four European Cups, there's something not quite right about that. My view is that there are two sides or, or three sides to every story, depending on how you look at it. And uh, I'll be fascinated to see what kind of player comes back. The only thing I'm, I, I do sense... If you can get back the Gareth Bale that you had before and you add him to Harry Kane and Youngming Son, then bloody hell, that's going to be a good forward line. It's just a question of if it's not quite the same, whether it will be extra disappointing because of that high regard that you're holding him. And there are, there are quite a lot of cases of players going back to their former clubs and it not quite being the same. I'm not saying that's going to happen. Jim Bonder. He's <laughs> crouched. Twice in three episodes, he's come up, Jim Bonder. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's get the Bales a, an interesting guy. He's a superb footballer, and I hope that it works out because it seems, like I say, more than anything, it just seems quite sad that a player that's so good had a pretty miserable time, and it, it obviously wasn't all or even mainly his fault, the way that things went at Madrid. But are there enough golf clubs in North London to keep him happy? Probably. 
Well, we'll ask you to do the maths um, in a 15-minute radius. What were we talking? Within 15 minutes, yeah. Within 15 minutes, there was four. But then you got another 10 minutes and you've got about another three or four again. And wasn't there, wasn't there that rumour that um, they put a putty green in the stadium, in the stadium, in the training ground for Kane? I would like it in the stadium. <laughs> Yeah. Have, yeah, right next to the cheese room, right next to our own <laughs> brewery, just a little pitching park. Look, crazy golf, <laughs> the most expensive crazy golf ever used in your life. Yeah, just it's fumbling round with a neck oil. I was going to say, it'd be great if you could have crazy golf and you could sort of have instead of that thing where you have to like get the ball through, get the golf ball through the windmill or over a pond or whatever that you do in normal crazy golf. It could be that you've got to try and. Make it football themed, but in a Spursy way. Well, surely there's a lovely automatic fit. Have you know, whenever you go to crazy golf, there's the really difficult one of like hitting it into like the crazy clown's mouth. And, yeah, like, you gotta like roll it up the tongue. Well, that would also be Harry Kane with his tongue like falling out of his mouth. So then <laughs> it's got the, you've just got to piece together the rest of the. Tongue. Oh, it's not. It's, it's not uh, his fault. Well, well, but no, but you, could, you can just find a way to fit the rest of the squad into, you know. Which players get nutmegged the easiest? Like the Ben Davies one, he would e- he would easily fit fit onto the course somewhere. I mean, he's about as mobile as one of the bloody objects on it. So you know, he's, he's a good fit in a way. Um, no. where it's like you have to get the ball over the gap, and the size of the gap is the distance between Spurs and success. Ooh. Ooh. Well, I'd like to see him uh, meander some sort of uh, trophy cabinet, which means it would be essentially just be a ramp. Um, and then you just you just bounce it in off the Audi Cup at the end of the. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. Certainly, if Bale's in need of a driver, I'm sure the Reese is that one because, well, he's not driving. Jules, what was your favourite Bale moment? What made you fall in love with him? I think my favourite favourite night would be would be uh, Taxi from Icon, just because I I loved Icon. I held him in such esteem. I thought he was an awesome right back, and watching. At the time, probably the best or most respected right back in Europe just get torn literally a new arsehole was uh, an absolutely stunning, you know, display of football. I think that's probably my most special memory of him. But I also remember, Fen, when we were at university together, obviously, and he his season before he went to Real Madrid, we'd always be in the same dive of a student bar, having a burger, hungover, watching Tottenham play. And it would be a boring, dull game interspersed with one or two moments of bail magic every week that would see us win. It would be the goals against Southampton, the 25-yard, you know, curlers, the the sprint through the middle against Norwich. Like, he was he was just explosive. Like, he could just kickstart something brilliantly. So, no, I mean, I've got such good memories of him. And I think it will be a very different player coming back, though. He's a, he's, a, he's a lot more gymmed, isn't he? Like, he's a lot bigger, a lot stronger... I know. I think he's a more complete athlete now. Yeah, I was. I think in it would be up there, but they happen to be my Italian team, so I was. I was torn a little bit on that one. But a lot of people forgotten that Inter were reigning champions that year as well. So it was phenomenal to do that to such a well-drilled team. It has to be the absolute scorcher against West Ham in the last minute after amazing Tom Carroll assist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that goal, I don't know. There's there's something special about scoring late against West Ham, particularly at the old bowling ground. It was just it was just special. The whole the moment he picked up the ball, you just knew he was gonna shoot and it was going top ins. Hadn't he just been clattered as well? I seem to remember mm. he'd been just like absolutely smashed. 
he got past the ball from about two yards and just decided, well, running closer to the goal didn't work last time, so I'll just, I'll just hit it from here. Yeah, it was phenomenal. It was absolutely insane. I don't think I've seen a better goal since. Well, I, don't, I don't know how he got the power on it, because you look at the highlight reel and there's so many absolutely beautiful goals. And I just don't know how you get the consistency. I, I just don't understand. So what do you but think? But that's the part of his game. I was going to say, that's oh. the part of his game he hasn't lost. Obviously, Jim was saying, if we get the same player back. But I don't think... That's not going to be the case. He's not going to be making those... Uh, 90 meter sprints past the right back like he did against Mycon. He's still got he's still got his pace uh, and he's still got his strength obviously that he's built up. But he's not going to have those legs. What he is going to have is still that devastating accuracy, particularly cutting in off the right. If he can get in, and he, he's going to make that hard uh, half a yard to get a shot off. So he's still going to bring that to his game. And if I think um, Carragher summed it up perfectly where he said he doesn't need to put up the same numbers he had before because before he didn't have Kane and Son to supplement it. Whereas now, now we've got goals in the team. Do you think with, with him as well, I, I wonder if he'll really benefit Kane who won't have to do as much running because he's going to have runners off him on both sides. I, I also like if Kane, if there's not Son running beyond Kane, then Kane has nobody running running beyond him, really. Because Lucas is useless. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Lucas just spends, his, just spends the match chasing his own touch around the middle of the pitch and trying to win 50-50s against defenders. But at least with, with Bale on the right and Son on the left, that's going to be a, a nice balance of two runners off Kane and kind of replicates the, where I think I've thought Kane's played best in the last couple of years has been in an England shirt where he's got pacey runners on either side of him and he can he can play sort of dropping in to play passes as well as shooting and being that nine. No, I was going to say, you know what you were saying last week, Jules, about Kane becoming a 10? Yeah. Over time, I agree. And I wonder whether, like you say, having those runners either side is actually going to help the natural evolution of Kane's game as well yeah. for the long term because even though Bale is four years older than Harry Kane, I feel like he might have more legs in him for longer yeah. than Kane, just, just because of the way they're built and the physique and their kind of games. And I think it'd be quite actually quite helpful to Harry Kane to have that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. A little bit of trivia for you. There's a bit of a segue. So Spurs have now got five national team captains again in the squad uh, after a few movements. Uh, obviously, Bale is one of them. Who are the other four? Quick fire. Kane, Lloris, Son, and... It's all right, we can edit out your thinking time. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's Hoybier. I think I've done quite well there. (laughs) Yeah, you've done fairly well. Before that, who was the fifth? Do you remember someone we sold recently? What's the fifth? Ericsson. No, it was one Yama. There is one squad, however, in fairly recent history, that had more national team captains within the squad it had six what was the team what was the year and, and do you know the players was it the United no United. the basis that you've all struggling the first clue I'll give you is that they were managed by our current manager Chelsea Ashley's got it into Milan when was that 2013 no earlier 2011 oh yes yeah about then so, so we're looking at the treble winning team of 2009-10. Zanetti? Zanetti is one. Kivu? No. Yes, he is. No. Zanetti was a vice-captain. 
he is a bonus point. Well done, Jules, for inadvertently getting it. <laughs> Zanetti was the vice captain. Julio Cesar for Brazil, maybe. No, but there was a Brazilian captain. Samuel Eto. Correct. Goran Pandev. That is correct. Yeah. That is a good shout. How many um, are we up to now? Three. Schneider. Uh, so of the big six I was looking for, you've got Samuel Eto and Goran Pendev. There's four more. Zanetti was a vice captain. I'm guessing Balotelli was not one. <laughs> he was not, but he was in the squad. There's a great team on on FIFA. They were they were they were tough as hell to beat. I'm trying to think who was the Argentina. It wasn't Cambiasso, was it? Cambiasso would have been, but he well, wasn't. Well, bearing in mind, Zanetti was your vice captain. Yeah. And he was Argentinian. You can rule out Argentina. I'm going to give you a country, Colombia. Uh, oh. Oh. Um, Ivan Cordoba. Cordoba. Yes, correct. That's the one. What right, about Stankovic? Stankovic, yeah. Yeah, Croatia. You mentioned Brazil. Who was the Brazil captain at the time? Who was in this squad? Julio Cesar? No. Michael? No. Lucio? Oh, oh. No. oh, I forgot about him. Oh, my God. What player he was. Yeah. <laughs> One final one, uh, Romania. No, I swear I've said Kivu. If you did, I'm sorry. Yeah, because yeah, that one of the first ones. <laughs> oh, was it? I, I tend to, I'll blame my internet, but it's not even on the Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> so well done for not getting it. It's more aimed at me. So transfers we've already talked about. Too late to be involved this weekend. Uh, 5-2 win at Southampton. You guys laughed at me because I predicted a 4-2 win for Spurs but he's laughing now. Uh, it truly was a game of two halves. Uh, it was a strange reversion back to 4-4 fucking 2 in the second half. Kind of worked. And uh, Kane's superior vision uh, let us run away with it. But at the beginning we sort of got a taste of what Jose was trying to do. Uh, we had the early goal disallowed. We are trying to beat the high line. Uh, but ultimately they dominated the midfield. Uh, and really deserve to be ahead at half-time. So, in that first half, what went wrong? Ash, you're nodding or shaking. We had absolutely no shape in the centre of the park. So, we discussed it um, a week ago at Everton. It was the same thing where we, we weren't sitting deep to present to protect our back four, but we weren't putting any pressure on the guy on the ball. So, they were just passing it between us um, or just skipping out skipping out the midfield and just going straight over over the top that you know we saw Ings uh, make a few runs over over the back as well I think what we also saw as well was Doherty still hasn't quite settled into the team so he, he's still playing really high up even when we haven't got the ball and Hiberg doing probably what he should do and covering that right hand side but then Winks isn't moving across with him which is just leaving a massive hole in the centre of the park It's almost like Winks doesn't really contribute <laughs> he contributed to apologize. on the board. Uh, I, I, I had to apologise to my brother the other day. Um, I was driving down when I went up to see him and we had a massive argument. I mean, screaming in each other's faces about him him saying Winks was absolutely useless. And I was trying to say, yeah, he's great, but he's not useless. Um, but thanks, Harry, for proving me wrong. Yeah, I think I'm with you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, um, I was reading earlier that... Uh, because everyone's quite excited in Italy about Pirlo having managed his first game at Juve and he's just had to write a dissertation on what he thinks, where he thinks football's going as part of this weird kind of coaching school they've got out there. Um, and he basically wrote this dissertation about how positions are defunct and it's about what a player brings in terms of contribution to the team. So you should think about sort of what functions are being fulfilled rather than the players. 
and it it made me think of Hoysberg. Uh, Isn't that just total football? Well, no, because no. Well, total football is more anyone should be able to fill in anywhere and play anywhere. This is more you don't you shouldn't look at it as a right back. You should look at what do I expect to get out of a player in that area of the pitch. What does it mean to be a right back? Well, it yeah. sounds like he had he had the true full university experience. A stew away with positions, man. It's all be so- free to <laughs> roam so- wherever he wants. It's all to a go. social construct, mate. It's all a social construct. It is. No, but the, but what it made me think of was he also cites if you if you ask players to do something in a position which they're not good at, then they're essentially useless. And having Hoysberg in a team that refuses to press on the ball is a bit pointless. Because when Mourinho gets him to sit off, it's like, well, what do you think he's going to do? He's not hes not an amazing passer of the ball. He's there to harry and to run. So if you tell him he's not allowed to leave his own defensive third, you're really not getting much out of him. So I was, I was quite frustrated with how we how we played because I thought we, we, we keep seeming to ask players to do things they're not good at. Is there an irony that Harry Winks can't harry? There's a simple irony in that Ollie Skip is a better player, and I wish they had switched and Harry Winks had gone on loan to Norwich. But that, that that seems a bit harsh. So second half, it completely different game. What exactly changed in your mind, Jules? I think it's that tactical switch to a to a four four two, and it was asking Kane to drop deeper and playing Son on the break because Kane's Kane's not going to sprint through your back line and and make make those kind of runs. So Kane dropping in and Son pushing up was a bit of a masterstroke. And as you say, it's for all the, for all of modern football tactics, it was just back to a bit of 4-4-2, play the quick lad <laughs> to chase in the balls behind. I think it helped as well that Southampton played a high line that was so high, they basically ended up in Iceland. And they just didn't seem to recognise that it wasn't working. And if you start, you can start a game quite easily. I understand why they wanted to do that and they wanted to be on the front foot. But as soon as you can see, the warning was there with that goal that was chalked off after eight minutes and they didn't change anything. It's what you said earlier, Jules. I think in a way, I wouldn't say that Spurs were lucky. I think that's unfair. But I think 5-2 could have been a very different scoreline on another day because if Southampton had been anywhere near as clinical as Spurs, it could easily have been 5 all. There were enough chances at the back. It's one of those classic games where going forward, Spurs were unplayable, and particularly that partnership between Son and Kane, obviously. But at the back, it was quite scruffy. Yeah. And against uh, an opposition that's better organised and looked like they wanted to be there, because to me, Southampton looked like they were still on the beach. You'd get cut out, I think. The second half reminded me a lot of the Leicester game, whereas they just played right into our hands. I think only the one thing we can do in attack at the moment is give the ball to Kane and let him play an incredible pass out to one of the wingers or have Kane make the run himself and hopefully one of our midfielders might be able to get into him and Southampton just let us do that for every single goal they just didn't identify the issue um Carl Walker-Peters was just constantly trying to play Son offside which is just the most ridiculous thing I've seen I thought Southampton played like a non-league side and I say that, I get really frustrated when people say things like that because it's usually meaningless, but generally the difference between a league football and non-league football is space and speed. And they just didn't seem to recognise what was wrong. They were so disorganised at the back and and just seemed not to... I was, I was watching the highlights and thinking, why is every ball in behind? Like, what, 
why is this happening? And they just didn't see it didn't matter because Spurs had so much space. You could do anything with it. I think Spurs did a very good job in the first, sorry, Southampton rather, did a very good job in the first half of stopping balls at source. Um, I think they committed 15 fouls, which is a quite impressive tally to get through. It essentially means every time Spurs could have been about to play the ball forward, you just clatter the man and shout at the ref and you get away with it. In the second half, they were just that little bit slower and then that ball is suddenly suddenly possible. One one other kind of uh, interesting point I saw, I, my favourite site for, for XG, and yes, I have multiple favourite sites for different XG models. Um, <laughs> oh no, surely there's only one. My, my favourite site matched, uh, said that Tottenham... Tottenham and Southampton were less than about 3% apart in terms of what they created. AKA, there was nothing in the statistical evidence that game that suggested it should have been anything other than a draw. It was also a weekend across the board in the Premier League. I saw something earlier that pointed out that across every game, lots of shots went in and lots of shots on target went in. Part of it is because of things like the Kepa incident where he seemed to have just... He would have been better off not turning up. But uh, the antithesis of his own name. Can we all just take a moment to enjoy how shit Chelsea's keeper is? Like it's delightful. And you look at Larice and you think, God, I'm glad you're here. Sometimes (laughs) you're flappy at crosses, but yeah, agreed. And just just on uh, Kepper, I sort of respect the grift from Athletic Bilbao. (laughs) They've obviously shown a highlights reel to somebody at Chelsea and gone, look at this lad. He's Definitely worth seventy-five million. It's an and amazing got, yeah, bit of editing. I mean, I know you have to deal with this podcast, Jim, but <laughs> oh God, they, they really did a number there. I also enjoyed two little things I noticed as well was when Southampton got the um, the penalty. I don't know if anybody else noticed the boo from the crowd. Sent <laughs> <laughs> oh, crowd booing when they got penalty. So. Uh, <laughs> I love the thought of the poor guy at BT who's messed that one up. <laughs> poor bastard. But you do hate point. to see it, though. I, I boo it some, something given like that because the state of VAR with, with this, how they're treating this rule, which doesn't seem to be how the Premier League said they'd approach it. I mean, Ash put it very well on Twitter. He's essentially been penalised for having arms. Yeah, I think uh, we could do a whole episode on that. Yeah, I don't know. I did, I did think it was a pen, to be honest, but... Yeah. I, 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 it's one of those, as I say, Ash, we'll leave it because it's one which you could do an episode on. It's just a case of, by the letter of the law, yeah, you're basically going to get penalised for having arms, every, which is why there'll be more pens this year in the Prem. And my fantasy football team should really have as many pen takers as possible in it, because that, be, that would be playing the odds. <laughs> I don't know if anybody saw as well at full time when, when Son was giving his post-match. And... Um... Jose came along and he was talking about Sonny being man of the match and he just came and patted him on the shoulder and just said, Kane was man of the match. And Jose is obviously joking, but for a split second, Son just looked absolutely devastated. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, boss, Harry's Harry's man of the match. (laughs) It's almost like uh, Mourinho is a passive-aggressive bastard who feels the need to suck the pleasure out of his players at any moment when they might be remotely happy so yeah we it's it's unsurprising they all all feel right at home then after his experience with Zidane wouldn't he yeah (laughs) (laughs) but at very least uh, Chelsea's goalkeepers take an advice to heart and certainly plays without any arms 
So we've got three games this week, believe it or not. Allegedly, we are scheduled to play Orient Tuesday night in the League Cup. I was going to say that we're likely to see a completely different starting eleven at Brisbane Road, which I've now found out is actually called the Brea Group Stadium, uh, which is what it should be known by. And I was going to ask for your strategy and prediction. However, the news has been been broken to a study throughout the day that it might not actually happen because the Orient team have gone down with COVID, <laughs> ironically, for because of a test that we paid for, which is maybe suspicious. Uh, so we don't know if we're actually going to get by. So I don't know if it is actually worth predicting. Isn't the, the why don't we just make a fair assumption here that we're probably going to win against Leighton Orient if we have to play them. We're then probably going to beat this team who I can can't really pronounce their name in the Europa League on Thursday. We're then probably going to lose to Newcastle. So that's that's really what we should just all discuss is what will the loss to Newcastle look like and by how many goals and whether it'll be Carroll or Callum Wilson who gives us trouble. I was going to say, Newcastle's got the feeling of the kind of game we'll lose. Coming off a terrible result and a terrible performance against Brighton, they can't possibly be that bad. And it just seems to happen to us every year. <laughs> but we just seem to fix every other team's issues as soon as they start going on a bad run. <laughs> So that was the moment when I think Palace had lost like seven on the bounce before playing us in the run-in. And I was like, you know they're getting a point here. Like, you just know. <laughs> Jim, what do you think of, uh, of of Newcastle? If they're fully fresh and we've had two games in, in two days and are a bit leggy? Uh, score draw. And is, do you want to, I mean, go a little bit further? It's not often I ask to ask that, but a, a bit of detail would be great. Well, I, I just think you're, you've hit the nail on the head, really. Jose likes nothing more as a football manager whose life is football than to complain about having to play football matches. <laughs> and yeah, three games in a week isn't easy for anyone. And, and Newcastle Newcastle are actually OK. And I think they were terrible against Brighton. But I don't think they're a bad side. And it has that sort of feeling that it could be a really turgid game uh, because... Newcastle under Steve Bruce aren't particularly exciting and will go to White Hart Lane, I imagine, with the aim of not losing. And Spurs will be leggy and tired. Um, and that means they'll probably be slightly disorganised. Wouldn't surprise me to see Spurs get done off a corner uh, in the last minute. That would be very um, that'd be very Spursy. But that said... Uh, at home, yeah, okay. Started with defeat last week at, at Wyatt Lane, but Spurs should be decent value to get something out of it. Yeah, on the on the leggy thing, though, I think taking it on the positive side, we should have a fit and motivated Delielli. I can't see Endembele or La Chelsea either of them getting more than forty-five minutes. So, if we rotate them in the same way as we did Southampton, maybe we can keep that uh, energy and that creativity in midfield that can see us through the Newcastle game after Scandia. Is that how it's pronounced? It's probably Scandia. Jim, can you shed any light on who on earth we're trying to play on Thursday? Yeah, I think it's Scandia. Um, Apparently, uh, they are banned from... uh, Their home supporters are banned from games against FK Vardar from Skopje because the rivalry is so bad. Um, that they can't attend matches. That's in sort of non-coronavirus times. Um, I was looking at their stadium. It looks quite fun. Uh, they've got this sort of 
two yeah, they've got two-tiered stand that's a bit like QPR and the rest is this sort of bowl with bucket seats and behind it you've just got, as far as the eye can see, just sort of Soviet housing blocks. <laughs> and it's like the most on-brand stadium you can imagine for somewhere in Eastern Europe. Um... <laughs> I like the way that you, you use the word fun and QPR there in the same sentence with no sense of irony. Because if there is one place where I think it would be... De- <laughs> Absolutely awful to play professional football. QPR are fun to laugh at. Yeah, I mean, not. I don't think much fun to play at. It took. It took. Adel Tarat actually turned around his career rather than staying there, which is quite something. Probably not a good time to talk about laughing at QPR in light of Vordal not taking a knee. That was classy. That absolutely makes sense. I don't know if you yeah. read the statement from. Is it Liz Ferdinand? Can you give me a distilled version? I haven't read the state statement. Basically, it's become an empty gesture in the same way that we clapped for carers. And that was all well and good because we appreciated carers. And it stopped at the right time because it had lost its meaning. And the same is happening with the knee. When it first came about, it was massive. Now, because everyone does it, because it's essentially scripted, because you essentially have to, it loses its meaning and people aren't actually addressing the fundamental issue, which is racism and I thought the criticism of QPR was very ironic given the actual name of their stadium and if you don't know what it is google it and educate yourself yeah. I think it's worth putting into context the amount of activism and work that Ferdinand himself has been put into raising awareness of racism in football in particular as well before criticizing them for not taking part in like like Tom said an empty gesture uh yeah and on that uh, I think we'll bring it to a close we uh, wind nicely down to the end of the Tottenham High Road. Uh, it's been poetic. It's been great to have you all here. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We're at cockandball underscore pod. You will see us tweeting aimlessly uh, about all things Spurs. Uh, so I hope you've enjoyed it uh, and we hope to see you again sometime.